You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. What is reality, and how are we in the media supposed to shed light on truth, especially in an era where emotion often wins people's hearts and minds over facts? These are some of the things that Brooke Gladstone explores in her new book, The Trouble with Reality, A Rumination on Moral Panic, in our time, Gladstone is co-host of the show On the Media out of WNYC in New York, a show you can hear on public radio stations across the country. You can hear it right here on WDET on Mondays at 10 p.m., Tuesdays at 2 a.m., Sundays at 3 a.m., and Saturdays at 7 a.m. And Brooke Gladstone joins me now to talk about her book and the role of media in the Trump era. Brooke, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks uh, for running our show so often. Absolutely. <laughs> you get lots of chances to hear you on our station here. Uh, I, I want to start with the title of your book, which I think is mm. quite provocative. Uh, two, two clauses together, the trouble with reality, uh, a rumination on moral panic in our time. Uh, it, it's almost like a, a, a fire alarm there that you're sounding. Uh, I mean, it is, <laughs> it is a very foreboding title. Uh, talk about what you mean by the trouble with reality and then this idea of a moral panic. that we're I am so glad you asked. You're the only person who has so far. <laughs> uh, well, the trouble with reality is, is kind of a twofer. First, there is, first, reality is in trouble, and second, reality itself is trouble. Is trouble. In other words, it's a, tr- it's a difficult concept that you can't really put your arms around. Also, the reality we know has been pretty much smashed. Yeah. Now, moral panic, that, this is a very small book, as you know, really. It's an extended essay. Uh-huh. And uh, moral panic is a shorter phrase than existential panic, but they mean the same thing. Moral panic is kind of a false cognate. It doesn't really mean, it's not really about morality. It's about existential angst. But it being such a small book, I didn't think I could put rumination and existential in the same <laughs> subtitle. Yeah, I think <laughs> so your I publisher think might have as good as back. I can explain it. <laughs> uh, now, in terms of uh, what I'm trying to do here, it's kind of a three-part essay. The first explains why, how we build our worlds, how we're wired to build them, how we couldn't function without them, and how we are designed far more to filter out information than we are to integrate it into our worldview. Yeah. And I wander all over the place. <laughs> I talk, I, I quote Philip K. Dick and William James and uh, neuroscientist David Eagleman, and then I talk about Hannah Arendt later and Jonathan Swift. And anyway, the first book is about how we craft our realities, how they are so hard to transcend. Then I talk about what happens when worlds collide. And I'm not just talking about a liberal world and a conservative world. I am talking about the infinite number, well, not infinite, however many people are in the United States, that's how many worlds are wandering around in danger of colliding with each other. Uh-huh. Mostly we bounce off each other, we have things in common, but sometimes there's a huge smash up on the reality highway and that's what we're dealing with now. And that's why I feel, I sense, I'm told that people are feeling 
a much more profound sense of unease than they felt when other elections perhaps didn't go their way. I mean, many people argued, well, didn't Bush create an alternate reality, you know, in the run-up to the war? And didn't Karl Rove admit that to New York Times reporter Ron Susskind? Suskind? Sure. It's all true. The difference is, is that they created a consistent alternate reality <laughs> about the danger posed by Iraq for a purpose, whereas it seems that this administration, or more specifically this president, wants us ultimately to accept that reality is not knowable, that facts all have agendas, that you're only responsible for keeping your worldview consistent and because you can't believe anyone and the truth itself is a liar, you don't need to pay attention to facts. And that's a danger to democracy. Sure. Which I mean, I it's can a f- go into if you like. It's <laughs> a far it's a far more egregious assault on, I think, democratic institution than we have seen before. I, I wonder I, I have this conversation a lot with people about uh, that assault on these on these institutions and what it means. The the thing that I struggle with is what's the end goal? What's the purpose of destroying truth? What's the purpose of destroying fact? I mean, we can certainly point to to other times in history where leaders have done that. It's never it's never turned out. It's never turned out great for for uh, the people that they are leading. But do you ascribe the same kind of motivation to Donald Trump as you would to other people we have seen launch this kind of assault in the past? That's a fascinating question because if we look at demagogues in the past, and I argue in the book, according to a set of criteria devised by James Fenimore Cooper, of Mm -hmm. all people, how to identify a demagogue, and he seems to fit the bill, Donald Trump, but what is his goal? That's fascinating. I mean, I I am not a psychologist and I, or (laughs) a shrink, and I can't figure out whether he is a narcissist or he's just arrested development. If we wanted to go with the goal that was expressed by Bannon, we'd have a better shot at it because he's been more explicit. He wanted to bring things down. In the past, he's called himself a Leninist in the sense that you have to take the system apart before you can reconstruct it. He wanted to take down the administrative state he wants uh, government to be so minimal and, uh, and you know, I don't know what he wants government for. But in any case, he thinks the bureaucracy is so great. Reagan did, too, but he didn't, you know, launch a full-scale assault on our institutions. So I could tell you what Bannon has said he wanted. I think that Trump's a mystery. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's part of, I think, the challenge to people who are on the other side of that equation to people who cherish truth and fact and the strength they give to our institutions it's really hard to push back when you don't know what the what the motivation or the goal the of the other side is, is yeah. right what are you pushing back against sometimes is is the question i find myself asking although in this case it's quite interesting because all this 
game-changing, all this rule-breaking, all these norm explosions have enabled the media to take a good hard look inward, figure out what they did wrong, not just during this election, but maybe over the long haul. I mean, I wrote an earlier book. It's uh, I emptied my brain, <laughs> essentially, into a rather extensive uh, graphic comic book style history of the media mm -hmm. called The Influencing Machine. Yes. And, uh, you know, if you look back, you can see that the conventions we now hold as sacred about the media are really more or less mid-century inventions, partly yes. due to political reasons like uh, the existential crisis of the Cold War and nuclear annihilation, and, uh, and also the fact that for the first time in history, media, rather than becoming cheaper and cheaper and cheaper to produce, became more expensive because TV was wildly expensive. So you couldn't serve slices of audience. You needed to amass the biggest audience possible. You couldn't offend them. This style of so-called objectivity, this neutral language, you know, plus back then there was the fairness doctrine, uh, sort of set the tone for what the best American journalism was supposed to be. But if you look historically, frequently the best American journalism was not in that right. neutral style. It was done by uh, uh, the great muckrakers of the past who did deep dive exposés of Standard Oil and and so forth. So there are all kinds of ways to do great journalism. It doesn't have to be the way that Walter Cronkite did it. Right. And right. I think the media now, especially the Washington media, are beginning are beginning to understand that. They just don't quite know how to do it yet. Sure, sure. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Brooke Gladstone. She's the co-host of On the Media and the author of a new book called The Trouble with Reality, a rumination on moral panic in our time. We are talking about the times we live in right now, the assault on truth and fact that we are seeing from the White House of all places, uh, and what that means for the American media. What role should media be playing right now? If you want to join the conversation, you have a question for Brooke, you can give us a call at 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there. If you go to Twitter and hashtag us at Detroit Today, we'll try to work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Brooke, I, I do want to sort of swing the conversation around a little bit to focus on the media right now the role of the media in, in trying to not not necessarily to counter this white house but certainly to counter the assault on the idea that there is truth uh, or fact or or that these things have meaning how are we doing a at, at that and, and i think uh, th there are a number of different ways to try to assess that uh, but but also what do you think the media ought to be doing at this point. I, I, I think it's fair to say that for all of us who work in media, we are in strange territory. I mean, we are in a, a space that <laughs> where we just don't really recognize a whole lot around us. And, and I think there are a lot of serious conversations going on in newsrooms about, okay, so what does this mean for us? So mm -hmm, tell, me, mm -hmm. tell me what you would say. <laughs> 
What was the first part of that question? <laughs> the was first it, part uh, of that question is, uh, <laughs> uh, how are we doing? How is the media, okay. how are the media doing? Uh, right. Uh, I think the, the media haven't quite worked this out, but I do think they understand that laughing at the guy is, uh, I mean, it really, too much of the, uh, the Washington media laughed at Trump right up until the nomination. Sure. Uh, that was a great lost opportunity to take him seriously, to look at his past, to uh, examine his business deals, to, uh, you know, to interrogate his earlier comments about things, all of which have relevance when you're trying to report on a candidate for president. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of that was lost. There was way too much attention. I mean, obviously, shockingly, we've seen, we saw CNN keep a camera on an empty podium where Trump had not arrived rather than play uh, an address uh, that Clinton was doing at a rally going on at the same time. Sure. Now, I'm not saying they should have done Clinton instead of Trump. I'm not saying that they can or should utterly ignore their ratings. But an empty podium right. with Trump on it is is better than showing something that's actually happening elsewhere. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, it was purely so much of this was purely fiduciary, yeah. and uh, and that's something that Walter Lippmann, who I quote a lot in the book, uh-huh, uh-huh. discusses. We want newspapers to carry the load to ensure that the electorate is informed and can make good decisions when uh, when the media are not supported like other public institutions that carry such a heavy burden like uh, schools right. or, or or you know it's it simply isn't it's a business it's a for profit it's a business, business. as to perfo- yeah mostly a for profit business our uh, we are excluded we are from exception. that but sure. <laughs> yeah. but but that but doesn't actually, mean we have to that doesn't mean we have no obligation to 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 mind uh, money and the bottom oh, line oh absolutely not uh, fortunately though uh, the public, which has always had a responsibility here, that's how I ended the influencing machine, we get the media we deserve. The public have finally begun to wake up to the fact that if they want high-quality information from reliable people who, who use good sources and practices, then they need to pay for it. Yeah, it's not free. And uh, <laughs> it was, it's often been called the original sin in the news business that... Uh, you know, newspapers started putting their stuff online for free, sure. and then people assumed that that famous expression, information wants to be free, meant without cost. <laughs> I don't have to pay for it. Which is not what right? it was meant. It was meant unfettered, obviously. Yeah. But, uh, but that's happening. And I think public radio, to some degree, has been a beneficiary. So has the New York Times, the Washington Post. It helps make people braver to know the public is behind them, but ultimately there is a tremendous divide. I mean, among the among Democrats, trust in the media is around fifty-one percent, which is pretty pretty, low. pretty good, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, among Republicans, it's around fourteen yeah. percent. There has been forty years of uh, a very concentrated and focused messaging on the media coming from conservative think tanks and the conservative political establishment that we are, as uh, as Trump put it 
so plainly not long ago in a tweet, <laughs> they have an agenda, that is to say the media, and it is not your agenda. Yeah. Uh, it is a bifurcated media. It is a bifurcated audience. How do we reach out to the people that are uncommitted, assuming that we can never reach the people who are committed? And, uh, and that is the problem now that the media have to deal with because there's you know they're people yeah. they like to be applauded by their audience who who see them saying things frankly and plainly and taking a stand yeah. but you know simply hurling insults at the current administration won't advance the cause of of truth yeah. the most important thing is to be truthful and fair and accurate and that means don't employ false balance don't give the same space to two unequal arguments. You have to use your judgment. On the other hand, uh, it isn't necessarily the role of the mainstream prep, stream press to grab a flag and be at the front of the barricades. You know, you can inform the, uh, you know, the leading guard. Your job is to provide good information, facts. Yeah. And even more important than facts, facts that are contextualized in a way that make them relevant to people's lives. I mean, if the question I think you asked earlier was, you know, what should they be doing? Well, yeah. the fact is, is if you just fact check and you don't really distinguish between an important fact and an un unimportant one, you may not be using your resources as well as you could. <laughs> you need to choose those facts and focus on those facts that actually have an impact on people's lives. And will that change people's minds who may have been misled? Maybe not until the information that the media provide is actually borne out in their lives. Yeah. These people will tell you they voted this way because, you know, maybe Trump didn't have an agenda that we can devise in terms of what's the end game here. But a lot of people felt this system isn't working for us. Let's blow it up. Right. I mean, I there mean, was an element of, yeah. of absolute desperation there, right? That yeah. This is not no, working. No, there, there is. And I don't know what else to do. Uh, uh, yeah. It's like we've tried this. We've tried that. Uh, you know, there. You know, many people were surprised at the crossover from Bernie to Trump mm -hmm. or from Bernie to no one. Uh, you know, that is partly a function of the fact that there is no trust. If you completely mistrust the major parties, then you say, we need something new, and, and you might actually just uh, just throw a right. stick of dynamite into the halls the of power and see closest. what happens there. I'm yeah. not saying that's everybody's motivation, but it's some. Yeah. Okay, Brooke Gladstone, co-host of On the Media and author of the new book, The Trouble with Reality, A Rumination on Moral Panic in Our Time. Thank you very much for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. All right, that's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a service of Wayne State University. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>